Let's see. We're going to get the call here. We're getting the right call. That's all that matters. After review, good goal. Good goal. After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got a goal. And welcome back to Under Review. I'm Greg. He's Steve. And we're getting to you uh, a week or two after the, the season has started. Um, so we kind of took a little bit of a hiatus for a week or so. Um, just to put some things in perspective, um, I watched the first two Ranger games, which they won. And I have not seen a game since. Uh, so <laughs> I definitely have missed the last five that they've lost in a row. Um, some of it was because of the, you know, that whack schedule that they had and things just didn't line up for me. And on top of that, I've just been working a lot. You know, I, I, um, I I run a gym down here in Georgia. So, um, I'm always kind of, I'm usually teaching at night. So sometimes schedule doesn't link up and every single time I'm there, the Rangers have been playing. So I just haven't had a chance to really catch up too much, but from, what I've read on Twitter and from what I've seen on what people are posting, looks like I'm not missing too much. Am I right, Steve? Oh, you're missing a lot, but you're missing, <laughs> you're missing all the bad stuff. Um, right. No, I mean, let's, let's, let's be honest here. The season has not started the way fans expected it to. Um, I think the first, especially the first game, was a fluke win against the Jets, which was the game you attended at Madison Square Garden, I think. That's correct. The home opener. Um, that game, I mean, the Jets should have won that. Uh, they were unable to hold on to a lead for 10 seconds. So every time the Rangers scored, they just came straight back. Uh, Rangers eventually won that game 6-4 after a Brendan Smith empty net goal. Wow. I guess Hell did throw freeze over. I guess uh, so. At the second game against the Senators, yeah, we won 4-1. But this was when Zibanejad was still getting four points a game. So, um it was also against the worst team in the league, which is not the Rangers. I mean, we're probably bottom five, but the Ottawa Senators are far and away the worst team in the league. Mm, I would um, agree with that. So beating the Senators, even in Ottawa, uh, I don't think that was a surprise. Um, but yeah, the only reason we were undefeated for three weeks is because we only played two games in those three weeks. So Yeah. <laughs> um, right. And then we finally, uh, we finally caught up with the schedule a little bit because at some point, I think the New York Giants had played more games than the New York Rangers since I flew back from New York at the end of September. That's how bad the schedule was for the Rangers. It was an NFL schedule. It was crazy. Um, but they, they lost 4-1 to the Oilers. Um, then they had another five-day break. I mean, it just, it just didn't end. Um, and then they played back-to-back against the Devils and the Capitals, losing 5-2 in both occasions, um, which in itself, I mean, is not a, it's not, shouldn't be unexpected. Uh, the Devils, for this bad start they had to the season, are a very talented team. Uh, they have Taylor Hall, Kyle Palmieri, Nico Hischier, uh, Jack Hughes, Nikita Gusev, P.K. Subban, um, and they have some, some depth players that are contributing now. So they, they had a bad start to the season. I think they are like the opposite of the Rangers. They had a bad start to the season, and then they came around. And the Rangers had a fluke start to the season, and now they come back down to earth. Uh, so losing to the Devils should not come as a surprise. The Capitals, 
one of the top teams in the league. I did not really expect us to win. Um, but the game that really frustrated me was, uh, first of all, the game against the Canucks on Sunday. Um, Rangers, I think, were outshot 40. Like, oh, no, not outshot, but they had they conceded, I think, 40 shots on goal in the first two periods. Um, those first 40 minutes, the Rangers were playing like an AHL team. I'm just going to be honest. They were bad. Um, and it got worse. And in the third period, they came back to 3-2, and they lost in the end anyway. The third period, they played some really good hockey, but you cannot win games when you only play 20 minutes. Um, and then the game last night, I mean, that's, look, I understand that, that as a coach, you want to ride the hot hand and you want to give your center who wins some face-offs some extra ice time. But if anyone can justify to me that Ryan Strom has more time on ice than Capo Kako and Elias Anderson combined, I would love to hear an explanation. Because David Quinn um, said in the post-game interview, because he was asked about it, why Kako only had nine minutes of ice time. And he said, yeah, it was the flow of the game. Honestly, to me, it's a, that, that, that's just a... Like, it's... It's, it's, it's not even answering the question. It reminds me of my mom when I was a kid, you know, where your mom asks you to do something and you go, yeah, but why? And your mom says, because I said so. That's basically what it sounded like to me. Yeah, it sounds like a fuck-off answer. Um, Kako playing nine, ga- nine minutes in the game and you say it was the flow of the game. I mean, what, what flow? There was no flow at all. Um, this is a rebuilding year. I don't expect the Rangers to win. I don't expect the Rangers to make the playoffs. What makes the, what would make this season bearable as a fan is to at least see our prospects out there on the ice given opportunities. Mm. And Kako playing nine minutes for one game, that doesn't, even, that doesn't even bother me that much. I mean, he played 15, 16 minutes every game so far before that. <clears throat> but... What what frustrates me the most is that for some reason, Leos Anderson is still on the fourth line, despite having a good preseason. Is there anything else he could have done to to get a shot on the third line? I, I'm not saying put him on the second line. Just just move him up a little bit. Move him up one line. Uh, we're we're juggling the lines here. You know, Kreider goes from the second line left wing to the first line right wing after having probably the worst start to a season in his career. I just don't get it. There are decisions that are made by Quinn as a coach that I just don't agree with. And usually if a, if a coach makes bad decisions or if as a team you're trying to get going, you know, you try to, 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 to figure out the chemistry and you, know, you try to live the line combinations, I get that. I get it. I'm, I'm perfectly okay with that. But the decisions he makes just make no sense to me. How is it possible that Mark Stahl is, is playing top pair minutes? Is he really? I, he, is, he is out there against top-line opposition. Um, last night against the Coyotes, with like a minute to go, Brandon Smith is out there. You're trying to win a game. You know, there's, there's two options. That, 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 that I would, if I was a reporter, I'd probably... I'd, I'd poach him on that question and be like, hey, what about that? 
See, there's, there's, there's two possibilities here. You know, you can either commit to the rebuild and say, listen, we are not trying to win any games. Everything is about developing our players. And you go out there and, and you put your, your young players on the ice and see what they can do. Worst case scenario, you lose the game. But if you, if you opt to play guys like McKegg and Smith and Haley and Strom in the last few games over your young players, then, I, then to me it signals that all you care about is a win. And this season should not be about winning. I think Rangers management has been perfectly clear that this is about the rebuild. This is not about winning games. This is about developing a team that in the future can win enough games. The pro- the pro- I think the problem with the Rangers is that they try to do both. And I think it's, it's very difficult to do both. Yeah. Um, and and you, you, you can only pick one. You, can, you, cannot, you, cannot, you cannot do both because you're going to fail at both. Yes, uh, that's exactly right. When you try to be half-ass on, on, on either side of the coin, you don't really do anything well. You're just kind of treading water. And I think treading water is, is, is a disaster. Yeah. Um, it's like those, you know, those all-in-one printers that they used to have in offices in like the early 2000s? Yep. Yeah, I mean, it can print and it, it's, it works as a copier and you can scan some stuff with it too. But does it really excel at, at, any one of the, at any one of those? No. No, they never did, no. And the Rangers are sort of reminding me of that. You know, they, they're trying to rebuild. They're trying to develop their prospects. But they're also trying to win games. And by focusing on all three, I feel like they are not achieving any of those goals. The only thing I could possibly say, and I'm going really... I'm going into the conspiracy theory here is that they're playing guys that are looking to move by the deadline. Like they know this season is, is a, is, is basically a tank year. Mm-hmm. They, they know that internally, they know internally when, when Quinn and, um, and Gordon and, um, and JD sit down, they know that they're not, better at, at this juncture of their of their uh, franchise they know they're not better than the Capitals. they know they're not better than the hurricanes they know they're not better than pittsburgh and they're probably not better than philly and they're probably not better than the devils they know mm-hmm. that i think they i think inwardly they know that i think the thing is they maybe they just i'm saying i'm being real conspiracy theory here guys maybe they're thinking to themselves let's just play the guys we have maybe we get some value and move them i don't know but I don't like that, that methodology either. Um, and this is also why I'm not a big fan of, um, you know, I, I would have tried to bury, bury Smith in the AHL. I would have tried to, you know, instead of buying out Shattenkirk, I hate saying it, I would have bought out, you know, Stahl. Okay, I, I have something to say about that. Because as much as I agree with you on not buying out Shattenkirk, uh, buying on Shattenkirk gave us the most cap relief for the season, and at the time we were still trying to get under the cap. Yeah, I, I, I get, I get that. I understand I, why they did it. I don't agree with it, but I understand why they did it. And of course, I, later, later on we traded Nemesnikov, and people were asking why, why can we trade Nemesnikov now but not in the off season? And it's simple. There was no need in Ottawa for a guy like Nemesnikov until they called up one of their Russian prospects, Vitali Abramov. They called up Abramov the day they traded for Nemesnikov. 
And you can say what you want about Nemesnikov. He did not have a good a good time in New York uh, as a player, like on the ice. But if you want a guy who can mentor one of your Russian prospects, he is the guy to do it for you. He grew up in North America. His dad played for the Canucks, uh, played for, I think, the Nashville Predators as well. Um, he grew up in North America. He speaks Russian. Um, he's, he's the perfect guy you want there tutoring your, your young Russian winner. So I understand why there was a need for, uh, for Nemesnikov in Ottawa in October, but not in August. But we didn't have time to wait for that trade. We had to make a decision. The buyout window was only 48 hours, the second buyout window. We had to pull the trigger. And pulling the trigger on just Shattenkirk was going to give us the most cap relief. And yes, of course, I, I would have put Smith in the AHL because I think Smith has no value either in on the trade market or on the ice for the Rangers. He is an anchor. He, and aside from his empty net goal, I have not been impressed with him. But when I see him being pushed up to the third line, I'm honestly wondering what Quinn is thinking. That's a very good question. I, I don't, I, I, I'm shocked that he's getting there. You know, even just looking at the minutes he's getting, I'm shocked. Yeah. I'm and, really shocked. And to circle back to your conspiracy theory, as you called it, um, if the Rangers are doing this to uh, showcase them, you know, to up their trade value. Are we really talking about a scenario where Rangers management values a third round pick over the development of the top prospects? Because if that is true, then we have a big problem on our hands. That's a fair point. It's a very fair point. It's a fair point, and I don't have an answer for it. I think the Rangers are trying to do everything, and they're not doing anything. Yeah, you try to do three things at once, and you're going to fail at all three. Uh, That's exactly what's going on. Look, Philip Hedel went to the AHL because he didn't impress the coaching staff with his, uh, with his performance, uh, with the work he put in in preseason and training camp. He goes down to the AHL. He performs. I think it's still a bit too early to call him up again. You know, let him play in the AHL for a couple more weeks. Mm-hmm. But at some point, it has to come up. And there has to be an open battle for that second second line center spot because <clears throat> I don't think there's going to be. I think Strom is going to be the, the second line center the whole the, most of the year. But he isn't. No, no. I mean, Howden is now the second line center. So they moved Howden up to the second and what they put Strom on the third line? Yes, Kako has been playing with Howden as his center. So mm. Okay. Can I can I tell you um, what what surprised? I it probably didn't surprise me, but what I saw in Chicago that I would like to see in New York. Mm, Go ahead. Kirby Doc uh, recovered from his injury and <clears throat> was playing in the NHL for the Blackhawks on a line with Dylan Strom, who was almost a point per game player last season, and Patrick Kane. If you want your top prospect to succeed. You have to give him line mates that can, you know, make him better on the ice. No prospect in the league, aside from maybe McDavid, can carry a line at at age 18. You see it with Jack Hughes. The reason Jack Hughes is playing better now than he was a few weeks ago is because Nico Hishier went out with injury, and now he's playing on the top line with Taylor Hall and Kyle Palmieri. Mm, Yep. To be fair, John Hines does other things that I don't agree with. I mean, he has... Nikita Gusev on the fourth line. I mean, 
look, I'm not even going to get into that, but that's also a head scratcher for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have Capo Caco playing playing 15 minutes a game, which is not bad, you know. Um, he he's still adjusting to to you know life in North America, mostly um, playing in the NHL, where you play back to back games, you play four games a week, not two. But is playing is it really better for his development to play with Howden and Kreider instead of playing with Zibanejad and Panarin? I mean, of course not. Look, and Butchnevich did did perfectly fine on that top line. You know, he had he had like three or four assists in the first few games uh, when that line was red hot, of course. And for no reason, he was moved down to the third line. And Chris Kreider was moved moved up from second line left wing to first line right wing. It made no sense to me. Yeah. And maybe maybe they did it to get him going, but. It's really difficult to justify to me, and I'm, a, I'm I have nothing against Chris Kreider, but it's difficult to justify to me why you promote Chris Kreider to the top line, playing him out of position. I should ask David Quinn that. If I was a reporter, I would. But all I do, <laughs> all I do is follow prospects and have a podcast with you once a week. Right, so. right, right. Um, I, I, I do have I do have this question. So. You know, we're we're about ten games into the season, almost. You know, we're at what, seven, eight games into the season, something like that. So we're we're getting close to being at a you know, you know, a ninth or an eighth of the way into the season. Still super super early in the season, but a small enough sample size where we can take a little bit of a temperature and say, well, where where are certain things at? Um, in your opinion, who are some players that are playing? Who who are the who are the guys who are performing well and you feel like are are are, are performing up to snuff, so to speak? Um, as far as the forwards are concerned, let's just talk about the forward the forwards for now. Panarin, okay. Zabanajad, okay. Fast, okay. And Leah Sanderson has actually performed as you expect from him on the fourth line, playing a low number of minutes. He has been a positive influence on the game when on the ice. It's a small sample size because, like you said, it's only seven games and he only plays like eight or nine minutes a game. But um, I think he leads the team in takeaways and has the fewest giveaways on the team. Even takeaways for 60 minutes, he leads the team. Mm. He is a net positive when he's out there on the ice. And that's playing with Brendan Smith and Michael Haley and Greg McKegg and Brendan Lemieux. Brendan Lemieux is not a bad player, but you can tell that him holding out uh, has hurt the start of the season for him. Yeah. Uh, you see the same thing with D'Angelo. Uh, you saw the same thing with Derek Stepan when he held out. And with Michael Delzato in 2012 in the lockout shortened season. These players who aren't in training camp because they're, they're still negotiating a new contract. They just miss this valuable time gelling with the team. So they need a few more weeks to, you know, to, to, to get to where the team is. Yeah. So, so it really, really, when you think about it, it's our two top stars are the ones that we're, we've been happy with so far. And then after that, there's a ton of question marks and uncertain answers, so to speak. Uh, yeah. And um, the Rangers just look, out of place. I think that's the best way I can describe it. They, they, they're out of sync. 
it's just it's 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 not working. And who have been, been, been the forwards we've been least impressed with? Like bottom barrel. Number one, Chris Kreider. Okay. Who has been for a veteran winger who was considered one of the best in his position when it comes to metrics and analytics, who was in a contract year, you expect so much more from him. Yeah. And he has been awful. Um, Ryan Strom shouldn't be in the top six, shouldn't be anywhere near the top six, but yet he was. Ryan Strom has not been good. Yeah, he has a couple of assists, but I mean, Tanner Glass has a couple of assists a season when he was a player. It doesn't mean doesn't mean doesn't, you're doesn't mean play, anything. Doesn't mean, doesn't mean you're playing a good game. Um, I mean, sometimes there are players who get an assist while they're on the bench. Because they pass the puck to someone, go for a line change, and then that play results in a goal. I, I know no one's tracking it, but I would love to see how many players get an assist while sitting on the bench. It happens, right? Uh, it happens sometimes. Yep. Uh, so yeah, assists alone should not be, uh, you know, shouldn't be indicative of how you're playing. And of course, you know, that one pass to Capo Caco to score his first NHL goal, it was a nice pass from Ryan Strom, but... From a top six center, you you expect more. Um, we don't really have someone to replace Ryan Strom in that position. We have a top line, and then we have three third lines. You know, uh, that's actually a very good point. And that was my assessment when the season first started, is that let's just hypothetically say you want to have a top line of Mika Zibanejad, Artemi Panarin, Capo Caco. Let's just say that's your first line. Yeah. That's a very good, you know, talented first line. Heavy. Your, second, your second, third, and fourth line are like three third or fourth lines. Like the, the drop-off between that first line and then the next line is dramatic. Yep. It's absolutely dramatic. And, the, and, I, and I remember, I don't know if we, you, you recall this, whether I said this on our show or whether we said this in conversation, but the problem with the Rangers is what happens when your top line, you know, either has an off night, has, you know, has a, a couple off nights, you know, is not putting up any points or the other team is recognizing this is the only threat. And I have to just, you know, pin, pin my tails on them. And I don't worry about the second, third or fourth line. Just make sure that, that just make sure that Zabana Jed, uh, Zabana Jed, Panarin and Kako don't beat you and then focus and then don't worry about anybody else because who cares? They're not going to do anything anyways. So. Yeah. Um, do you know what this team reminds me of? What? The Colorado Avalanche and Edmonton Oilers the last couple of years. Yes, it does. I actually think that's a very, very good take. I actually think that's an excellent take. It really does. Now, granted, you know, Conor McDavid, you know, Zibanejad, as good as he is, is no Conor McDavid. But the, the fact of having a very heavy top line and a whole lot of what's going on after that. Yep. And um, I remember in 2014, when we made it to the Stanley Cup final, we had, um, we had a, uh, it was a nice problem to have where we had a first line, a second line, and two third lines. Yeah. Because our fourth line was Brian Boyle, Dominic Moore, and Derek Dorsett. Yep. And our third line was Pouliot, Brassard, Zuccarello, which was a, a monster line for the right matchups. I think our second line was Kreider, Richards, Haglin, maybe? No, no. Kreider, Richards, no. Haglin, Richards, Nash. And I think and the top line was then 
St. Louis, Stefan, and Kreider, something like that. But that team had the depth to go far. And we did go far. We made it all the way to the final. We didn't win, but the depth is what got us there. Yeah, and, de- and, depth, and depth is a key factor when you're talking about NHL teams. You, you cannot survive on just one line. I'm sorry. You go, look at the, you go look at the Chicago Blackhawks who won two cups. They won with depth. You go look at the Pittsburgh Penguins. Matter of fact, they've got like all-stars up and down their lineup. You go look at the Washington Capitals. Okay, yeah, Ovechkin is like the main part there. But don't get it twisted. They've got like four or five other very, very good players on that team that can easily, be, easily, easily anchor another team. No. So, like, you know, I, I think we always get consumed, while, you know, by this notion that, you know, you have to have, you know, the superstar. And you do need a superstar. But if you don't have depth, that superstar is going to go nowhere. Where do you think what, – what's Connor McDavid been doing for the last decade in Edmonton? Absolutely nothing. This is the first time where, you know, Edmonton kind of looks like the rest of their lineup looks a little okay. Now, uh, it's a small sample size, agreed. But let's see what that looks like over 80 games. But if they're able to get some offensive production – throughout the lineup, they're going to be back in the playoffs, guys. Yeah, and, and, and finally, they, they have some, they, again, yeah, like you said, small, small sample size, but they're showing some consistency in Edmonton early on. Yep. Um, Colorado as well. Colorado had that, that top line of Branton and McKinnon uh, and uh, Landeskog. They added some, some good players uh, like Nazem Kadri this, uh, this offseason. Uh, they've been working on their team, and the Rangers are just not there yet, which is perfectly fine. I'm perfectly fine with it, and I expected this to be a rebuild year. And I, I don't want us to make the playoffs because I feel that another top pick is essential to a good rebuild. But yeah, I think that's absolutely true. I think that's absolutely true. Here's the thing. If we're going to lose, I want to at least see an exciting team. You know, play, play Hedl. You know, uh, I know it's too early for Kravtsov because he has some some issues in his game to work on. But calling up Hedl, put Lias on the third line, um, make Howden the fourth line center because he's a very good shutdown center uh, on the fourth line with the right matchups. Mm-hmm. Um, and your seventh overall pick from two years ago, just give him a shot. Is it really going to be worse than what we've seen the last two weeks? Oh, it can't be. I it doubt it. I mean, at some point you have to, and I know, I know some people will say I'm only saying this because I'm a fan of him. And yes, I am a fan. I followed him all over Europe when he was still playing here. And I finally had a chance to meet him when I was in New York last month. And I, he's, he's my favorite player on the team, but I'm not alone in this. A lot of people agree with me when I say that Leas Anderson deserves to play more than eight minutes a night. Hey, I thought I thought all along from the start of the season, the way the way he played in in, in training camp, I would have given him the, the that second line opportunity and let him run with it. Yeah, and, and I thought he I thought he played well enough in preseason that I, that I would have given him the shot and says, let's see where you can go from this. If you struggle, I'll move you down to the third line, but I'm going to give you a chance. Yeah, and and if if it doesn't work out, fine. At least you tried. Yep. But now there's no reason to have him on the fourth line. Uh, just call up Bunievis. And put him on the fourth line. Your fourth line center has to be a guy that, like, where the fourth line is his ceiling. A guy like Bunievis, put him on the fourth line. Put Howland on the third line. Put, put Lias on the wing. Just try it. Lias played on the wing with Zibanejad in the Euro Hockey Tour and the World Championships last year. Yeah. 
and they work together really well. Um, Lias has looked like a completely different player this season. If you look at, at his shifts when he's on the ice, yeah, I know he doesn't have any points yet, but he is a net positive, like I said, when he's on the ice. He, he causes turnovers. He, he gets his team the puck. And yeah, of course, I mean, when you play with Brandon Smith and Michael Haley... Um, There's not a lot of offense you're going to generate. That's your linemates are not going to help you out to, uh, to generate some offense, but he's no, been doing right. all the right things. And the thing that annoys me the most about David Quinn is his answers to questions in press conferences where he goes, oh, it's the flow of the game. Oh, he has to earn it. Oh, I like Brett Howden's pace. What pace? I have nothing against Brett Howden, but what game is he watching when he, where he says, I like Howden's pace? <laughs> That's a good point. It just makes no sense to me. Like I said, if we're going to lose games, and at the moment, we are losing. We have lost five in a row. If we're going to lose games, I just want to see, I just want to be entertained. I'm watching games at one in the morning. If I'm going to stay up or wake up at one in the morning to watch a game, I don't want to see Brendan Smith play 14 minutes and Ryan Strome play 15 minutes. Yeah, I agree with you. That's not why I tune in. And that's, that's why I decided to go to bed early last night and watch the game this morning. Um, smart move by you. Yeah, I mean, some games I stay up for, but I, I couldn't be bothered last night. And um, when I watched the game this morning, I was, just, I was just annoyed by so many small things. And then David Quinn says, yeah, I didn't get out of my players what I expected. Well, what did you expect when you play right <laughs> minutes? Yeah, you know, to touch on that question, I didn't get what I've expected out of my players. What What is his expectation level that he's looking for? I don't understand. I mean, if you're not going to give your top players or your, your your prospects, you know, opportunities to succeed, you're not putting them in the, you know, you know in situations to succeed. You're not putting Leah Sanderson in the top six. You're not putting, you know, Capo Caco on your top line. If you're not doing this or you're limiting their ice time, well, then, I mean, I'm just curious, but what are, you, what are your expectation levels then? Yeah, and, and unless it's just to win, and then it's like, well, I'm sorry if your expectation is to win. This team is not very good. I could have told you this in fucking August, guys. Yeah, and this team shouldn't be winning. No, this team is not very good, guys. I mean, I like I, I, I know I know people people got excited by the first two wins of the season. Guess what? This team is not good. It is not a good team. Not and not because they not because they don't have any superstars because they definitely do because Barron is um, um, Panarin and Zibanejad, and I put their names together because I'm getting angry now. But Panarin and Zibanejad are stars. The problem is, is that everyone else is like a fourth liner. I mean, Capo Caco, to be honest with you, is probably going to be a star. I, I would agree with that. And I think, and I do think that Buchnevich is a really good top six player. But the, I mean, that's it, guys. Like, you have such a dramatic drop off after this, you know? I mean, I like Jesper Foss, but like, you know, I mean, like, that's your best forward after your superstars. That's that's bad, guys. It is. That's and, bad. And, that's and, bad when Jesper Foss is your best forward after your two superstars. Yeah. It, that's not a good team. And to draw a comparison with last season, the Edmonton Oilers had two players hitting 100 points and they still missed the playoffs. Yeah. McDavid yeah, and Dreisaitl hit 100 points. 
And it's totally possible that, you know, that, that Panarin and Zibanejad are going to have 80, 90 points this year. And you're going to be, you know, we're going to be in last place. That's completely, I actually think that's more, more likely to happen. They're both going to take off and have great season, which they both are so far. And you're going to be left being, you know, a lottery pick, which is fine, which is fine. You guys should not be upset about that. But what you should be upset about is any of the coaching decisions that David Quinn is making if he's not putting his young kids in positions to succeed, which is where I would have a little bit of a question with David Quinn of what's going on here. Now, does that mean that I want to fire the guy? Does that mean that I want to say, you know, burn the whole building down? Absolutely not. But it, is my eyebrow a little raised? Sure, it should be. Yeah, and, 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 and I've had this debate online a few times, and uh, I just want to you know, touch on this real quick. I've seen people say it has only been five games. It has only been six games. It has only been seven games. Yeah, you can keep saying it, but if something is wrong in game one, I'm going to call, I'm going to call it out. Yes, I know it's only been seven games, but... Uh, where, first of all, where do you draw the line? When is it okay to criticize the coach? If he makes a mistake, like I said, if he makes a mistake in game one, I'm going to call it out. If I feel he did not uh, put the best players out there, I'm going to call him out on it. I, if, think that's a, I think that's a fair take. You know, and I don't care if it's game one or if it's game 82. I'm going to say something about it. And I don't buy into this, oh, it has only been five games. No. Oh, uh, no, uh, there's no chemistry because we have so many new players. Do people not know what free agency is? <laughs> Look at how many, how many players switch teams in the summer. Do, 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 do you think P.K. Subban uh, um, has, has, has uh, trouble adjusting? Of course he does. Is that an excuse? No, it's not. They have training camp. They have preseason. Yep. The Philadelphia Flyers flew to Prague for some preseason games and then for their, their season opener against Chicago. And they are performing better than the Rangers. There's just the excuses I hear, I just don't buy it. And I'm going to, I'm going to call it like I see it. I'm not happy with the decisions the coaching staff has made. And honestly, I'm a bit surprised how quick people are to call out Lindy Ruff who I'm not a fan of, and he should probably go. But firing Lindy Ruff is not going to all of a sudden improve our defense. It's still a defense that has Mark Stahl on it. So, yeah, I'm glad, I'm, I'm, and I'm actually glad you brought that up too because I, I'm I'm in the fire Ruff camp as well. But the problem is, and I I wanted to ask ask you how you know how the the defense has looked the last five games. Um, I'm assuming a complete tire fire, right? Now I've looked at I've looked at some stats. And it looks, here's what it looks like. It looks like from the numbers I've, I've looked at, and you tell me if this is, this is accurate. It looks like, it looks like Hank is actually playing very fucking well. Yes. And the defense is just, you know, hanging him out to dry, which is the same song and dance we've seen for the last 15 years. Yes. But when Lundqvist was 31, that was all fine. Now he's 37. Yeah. Exactly. He's no longer able to cover up the, the glaring holes we have on defense. And it shows. And the Rangers are dead last when it comes to expected goals against. You know, that, they, that is that is that is bad. That where is bad. they look at the, the it's a metric that's based on um, um, shooting quality, quantity and frequency. So how many shots on goal? Where do the shots come from? High danger, low danger, etc. 
and how frequently do those shots are those shots fired at the net? And the Rangers are dead last in the league when it comes to expected goals against. That is hor- That is horrible. So yeah, they're they're hanging their goalie out to dry, but. I'm going to say something that people will not agree with, but I'm going to say it anyway. The number one of the biggest reasons Henrik Lundqvist is not winning a cup in New York is Henrik Lundqvist. Hmm. Because keep, keep going. Because his performance ever since he entered the league has always covered up the glaring holes we have on the team. And Rangers management was just riding Lundqvist every year. It's a damn shame that he only has one Vezina trophy. He should have five. I'm serious. And I've been critical of Henrik Lundqvist, but Henrik Lundqvist should, should have five Vezina trophies easily. He has been the best goalie in the last 10 years. Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree with that. I mean, I, you know, I've watched enough hockey to know that you know, the defense breaks down and he just, you know, bails him out of a position. I'm like, you got to be fucking yeah. kidding me. And it's like, and, and it sucks because then, 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 you know, it's only a matter of time, especially when you take those really high danger shots, man. Like it's only a matter of time. Like you're like, no one's Superman. You're not going to stop them all. You might, you might, you might make one or two miracle saves a game, but yep. when you have five of them against you, guess what? Three of them are going to go in guys. Yep. And uh, the two guys that, that owe Lundqvist a steak dinner for the next 40 years are Dan Girardi and uh, Mark Stahl. Yeah, that's actually true. I mean, let's let's let let's not you know let's just call it like it is. <clears throat> they they are making five. Well, Girardi got bought out, but they signed contracts for salaries five point five million and five point seven million average, based on Lundqvist's performance. Yes, they did, and it's a damn shame because they're they're, they're making money off of his backbone. Yeah, and I know that a lot of Ranger fans are very high on homegrown talent, you know. Um, Dan Girardi was a fan favorite, uh, and yeah, homegrown. He was an undrafted free agent, but the Rangers were his first NHL team, so I consider him homegrown. Same with Zuccarello. I would agree Uh, with that, too. But Ranger fans have a weakness for homegrown talent. You saw with Callahan, with Dubinsky, with Cam Talbot. Uh, Mark Stahl, Carl uh, Hagelin, not bad players, but when you hear people talk about Matt Zuccarello, you think they're talking about Wayne Gretzky. <laughs> That's actually true. It's it's crazy. I mean, I love the guy, but come on. I, I, I saw someone, and he wasn't joking, literally say, we should trade for Zuccarello. Yeah, I would just pass right by that comment. Be like, yeah, I'm just going to keep screwing. No, 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 I pass by it, but the fact, I'm not even surprised that it shows up. I mean, people are stuck in the past. It happened when uh, Derek, Derek Stepan was traded. People were like, oh, how can we trade Derek Stepan? And I love Derek Stepan, but it was the right move. Yeah, it was right. There's so much more going on than just what happens on the ice. And the way you build a team, the way you structure a team, and I'll get to my, net, to my next point regarding Lundqvist, the way you structure your team is important because that determines if you're going to be a contender or not. And the, the biggest issue with the Rangers, and this is not even Lundqvist's fault, the biggest issue with the Rangers is that they are built the wrong way. I tend to agree with that. It's because of Lundqvist, but I wouldn't blame him for it because all he did was perform. But his performance 
pushed Ranger management into structuring the team the wrong way. If you look yeah. at if you look at the teams that won a Stanley Cup in the salary cap era, and we're going back a few years, and we'll circle back to the Rangers today, but if you look at teams that won a Stanley Cup in this salary cap era, and you look at their goalies, you have Cam Ward, uh, Jean-Sebastien Giguere, really good goalie at the time. Uh, who was the goalie for Detroit in 2008? Was that Howard? Was it Howard? Or, I think it was Howard. Osgood, maybe? No. It's either, no. You're talking about 0 2? No, no, no. Uh, 2008. Oh, that's, that should be, that should be Howard, dude. But wh- whoever it was, it wasn't a goalie worth remembering because I don't remember. Um, that's 2008, right? Yeah. This, this just proves my point, which I'll get to. Uh, 2009 was Flurry. 2010, Anti Miami. How he ever won a cup, I'll never know. 2011, Tim Thomas, good goalie. Uh, 2012 was Jonathan Quick, not bad. 2013 and 2015 was Corey Crawford. 2014 was Quick again. Uh, 16 and 17 was Matt Murray. God help us. Um, and then it was Braden Holby for the Capitals and then rookie Binnington for the Blues this year. Actually, it was... Let me take a look. It was split between Hashik and Osgood in 2008. Hashik? Hashik and Osgood split time. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll let you decide then. I know Hashik we don't even have to discuss. Good goalie, but Osgood? I mean... Well, it's funny you mention it because uh, that was actually one of... Um, it was one of Hashik's bad years, and even a bad year for him is still outstanding. Where he had a goals against, he had a goals against of two point one four. Yeah, but so to reiterate, the goalies that have won a cup in the Stanley Cup era include Cam Ward, Matt Murray, Antiniemi, Corey Crawford, uh, Binnington. Um, yeah, not exactly your elite Hall of Fame goalies, are they? No, I, matter of fact, I would argue I don't think any of them are going to Hall of Fame. Tim Thomas, maybe. No, okay. I, can't put him in the, I can't put him in the Hall of Fame. All right. So now we, okay, now we take a look at the uh, number one center on the teams that won. See, see the difference. Eric Stahl, Ryan Getzlaff, Sidney Crosby, Pavel Datsuk, Patrice Bergeron, Andrzej Kopitar, Nicholas Backstrom, Ryan O'Reilly, Jonathan Taves, I'm not you're, saying, ta- you're talking about more than half of them are Hall of Famers. <clears throat> yeah, I'm not saying or at, least, or at least if I'll put it this way, if there there's there's a few Hall of Famers there, and there's a couple of guys that are borderline, and if you're borderline, that's really freaking good. Yeah. My point is, in the salary cap era, where you are, when your hands are tied financially, you are not going to. You, you can, but chances of you winning a cup with an elite, elite goalie. And good first line center are slim. Right. I agree with that. Your better chance is to have an elite center. And it doesn't really matter who your goalie is. Because one thing the Rangers need to do is they need to construct a team that possesses the puck. There's a, a, a legendary football, uh, sorry, soccer player from the Netherlands, Johan Cruyff. And some people who watch soccer and probably know his name, but uh, one thing he always said, and this applies to any sport, 
when you have the ball, or in this case the puck, when you have the puck, your opponent cannot score a goal. The reason oh, yeah. I'm a I'm a big believer in that. I mean that's that's the that's I, I mean that's that's like a you know if you think about it like the the New England Patriots in terms of American football they're the quintessential team of ball control. They control the ball better than anybody else. And guess what? How many Super Bowls have they won? I mean like it's yeah. ridiculous. You control the clock. You 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 give your and football is a bit different because your defense and your offense are not on the field at the same time. But you give your defense a rest. By having your offense, and that and that's critical. By 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 keeping by keeping the the, the ball, you give your defense a chance to recruit to re, to recoup. And then when they're out on the field, it's nice and fresh. And if they can get if they can you know get that that the ball back to you, you get more ball control and just kill more clock and just keep putting up points. And all of a sudden, you put your your opposition in a in a in a hole where not only do they need to score, they need to score a few times, and then they start taking absurd risks. Yep. But yeah, the, my point is. If if you if you want to if you want to look at a, a blueprint on how to construct a team, the way the Rangers have done it is not it. And I'm sorry to say this because Lundqvist has been probably the best goalie of his generation since he entered the league in 2005. Has there been a better goalie in not that? Not that I not that I could think of. Honestly. In that time, being completely fair, I can't think of a goalie that's been better than him. In ter- in terms of in terms of you know, singular performance, I can't think of one. For this long? No. No. Um, like I said, he, he deserves more Vezina trophies than the one he has. He has been that good. He deserved probably an MVP trophy in his career. He has carried this team on his back several, like, like years in a row. Um, but you're not going to win. And this is the reason why Montreal is not going to win a cup with Kerry Price. Your highest pick cannot be your goalie. I, that I, is I, the I, hill I'm willing I, to die on. And I and I and I think you're absolutely right, and I completely agree with you on that one. So let's let's transition real quick before we wrap up to the the defense. So the de- how, how who's been impressive at least on the defense for you? Has anybody on 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 the blue line been impressive? Adam Fox. Okay. And what how 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 what are your thoughts on Truba? No, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about Fox first for a second, if you don't mind. Okay. Sure. I was skeptical of Adam Fox because for all the stories I heard about him, how great he was going to be, it's always still a huge transition from college hockey to the NHL. But he has been, in my opinion, our best defenseman, and it's not even close. He's been better than Truba. Wow, interesting. Better than Truba on both sides of the puck. Um. And the way he skates, I mean, the, the three defensemen that came out of college this, this, uh, this season, Quinn Hughes, Kale McCarr, and Adam Fox, it's a joy to watch, all three. Um, and the production isn't there yet for Adam Fox, but, I mean, he, he is like, like Zabanejad and Panera. When he's on the ice, he impacts the game in a positive way. Um, Truba has been good. Offensively, he's chipped in with some goals and has some assists. He's on the top power play unit. Um, but I still think Adam Fox is overall uh, the better performer so far on the blue line. Okay. Um, how have uh, how has Shea been? Um, to, to say it in, in a nice way, he's been unlucky. Okay. He's taken some really bad penalties, some bonehead penalties. 
Um, it's like when it comes to taking penalties, he's Chris Kreider on defense. Oh, jeez. That, that's that's how 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 clumsy his penalties have been. Okay. And it impacts the game in a negative way. Uh, but Brady Shea is what twenty five. Yep. Twenty five, twenty six, maybe. He will bounce back. I'm not worried about that. Um, when we finally get someone to play on the top pair and Brady Shea will slide into that second pairing role, he will be fine. Okay. But he's in over his head on the top pair. And it's not even his fault. It's just the problem is that we don't have anyone to play that position. Okay. How, fact, is, how, how has D'Angelo been? Um, started off very poorly. Um, but again, like Lemieux, he missed camp because he was holding out. It took a couple of, uh, you know, it, it took a couple of weeks for him to get to the level where the rest of the team is, which uh, I'm going to make a joke here, but shouldn't be that difficult. No, um. <laughs> oh, no um, but, you know, when it comes to conditioning and, you know, having that, that chemistry and gelling with the team, he needed a couple of weeks. Uh, he scored twice in last night's game against uh, against the Coyotes. Um, so uh, product the production is is getting there. I think he has a point in in the last four games. Okay. So on the offensive side, he has been as advertised. What we expect from him defensively, he can improve a little bit. But considering he was holding out and joined the team later, I'm 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 not I'm not upset or surprised or shocked. Um, yeah, um, look, I'm just going to say it, and nobody wants to hear it, but our worst defenseman, Mark Stahl, is going to play 82 games this season. Yeah, uh, Mark Stahl continues to be a problem, which anchor, which really, you know, really hinders that defense. Um, Chicago Blackhawks are playing Brent Seabrook 82 games in a season. Can we really complain about Mark Stahl being on our defense for 82 games? No, we can't. It just it just uh, uh, supports my narrative that you know when you're a nice guy and when you are looked when when people in the organization look up to you for seniority and nothing else, your job is safe. <clears throat> Mark Stahl is not going to get scratched. Mark Stahl is not going to get bought out. They're going to ride it out for two more years. They lean on him for his experience. He's a leader in the locker room because he's been there for like a decade and a half. Mm. Uh, <clears throat> but yeah, he's the worst player on the ice. Aside from the first game where he scored that Matto-like goal against the Winnipeg Jets. Right. Um, but it's just, it's not there. There's nothing in Mark Stahl's game that I think impacts the Rangers in a positive way. And for some reason, he's out there defending a lead. With, with you know, he, he's out there when when we pull the goalie and we need a goal. Who's out there? Mark Stahl, number eighteen. It's it's ridiculous. I mean, so, they're gonna li- they're gonna they're gonna live and die with Mark Stahl. And you know, we we complained about it mostly when, mostly die with Mark Stahl. But yeah, yeah. We complained about it when Elaine Vigneault did it in the playoffs against the Ottawa Senators. You know, you wanna you wanna hold on to a lead and you put Nick Holden and Mark Stahl out there. Oh yeah, don't even don't even remind me about that. <laughs> Guess what's gonna happen? Um, yeah, I mean, it is what it is. I'm not going to uh, complain about it. I'm not going to feel bad about it because it's not going to change. I refer to Mark Stahl as the old guy in the office that doesn't know how the new systems work, but he comes in every morning and everyone loves him because he always brings a free newspaper and he 
and he pours everyone coffee. That's Mark. <laughs> That's Mark Stahl for me. It's older. <sighs> been in the office for decades. You know, who who still uses a typewriter instead of a laptop. That's Mark Stahl. Right. Um, yeah, Libor Hayek. Libor Hayek has been fifty-fifty for me. I mean, he's not a liability. He's not an asset. Uh, he's he's still a rookie. Um, he can improve, but. Yeah, and then so, course, so 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 really, when you think about it, the, the 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 blue line and the forward the forwards actually have a lot in common. And what I mean by that is, you've got you know a few guys that you feel like are are performing well and really are shining on the ice. And when they're there, they're noticeable. And the drop off from that is dramatic. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, that's guess what, guys? That's a recipe for you know, uh, I don't know. Uh, a 70 point season. <laughs> yep. And you know what? I'll be perfectly fine with it because I've said from, I, I've said it two years ago. If we are going to do this rebuild, right, we need more than just a, just a top three pick. We're going to need another one or maybe not necessarily top three, but if we, if we can get a top five pick in next year's draft, that's not going to accelerate the rebuild. It's going to solidify it. Yeah, I think, and I think here's the thing that I that I've been very big on. Um, last year's draft was basically a two man horse. Okay, um, now don't get it twisted. I mean, you know, uh, there, there there is one superstar in in next year's draft that is a superstar of superstars. However, having said that, the next four kids after him are all outstanding kids that you can build around. So. There, yeah, yeah. There's there there's one ge- generational talent, and then there's four or five franchise players. Yes. So if you get the fifth pick next year, you are going to land a stud. Yeah, and that's that's what the Rangers need because what we have now is not going to be enough. And again, um, look at the teams that won a cup, and look at where they drafted. The Penguins had Flurry, Malkin, and Crosby in the top three. I think Jordan Stahl as well. I think he was a third overall pick. Um, the Blackhawks had Taves and Kane. Uh, the Kings had Dowdy and then Kopitar. I think he was 11th overall, but still quite a high pick. Um, you know, the Washington Capitals had Ovechkin and Backstrom and Olsner. Yeah, not all of them were superstars, but they still had those high picks. And it took a little bit longer for Washington, but they still got there. You know, they still got to like the the highest level. They they got to win a cup. Uh, the Rangers now have Carpo Kako, Vitali Kravtsov, Lias Anderson. Those are their top ten picks in the last three drafts, which is great. You need one more. Yeah, I think so too. I think so and, too. And there's there's no there's no harm in admitting that you don't like the rebuild. Um, you know, just just say what's on your mind. If you don't like the fact that your team is rebuilding, I'm I'm perfectly fine with it. But what I don't like is people who say, "Oh, uh, rebuilds don't work." Because look at Buffalo and look at Edmonton and look at Colorado. Yes, and I've been over this, and I'm going to use the analogy again. You know, not every animal is a cow, but every cow is an animal. Not every team that has a high draft pick will win a cup, but every team that has won a cup has had a high draft pick. Yep. Um, and you need more than just a high draft picks, but it is essential to winning a cup. In the salary cap era, you build through the draft. This is not 1994 
where you just trade all your prospects for uh, for veterans, you know, that that come here for a year and you hope for a fluke Stanley Cup win. Because let's face it, 1994, as great as it was, um, when the Devils and the Canucks take you to seven games with all the moves they made at the deadline that year, it's a miracle. It's a miracle they won it. And you could also, I mean, think about it this way. I mean, if, if they would have lost in 94 to either New Jersey or to Vancouver, that, that would have, I mean, they, they basically gambled their future for that one year. And, I, and look, the gamble, the gamble paid off. They won a Stanley Cup out of it. And you know what? If I had, you know, in hindsight, would I do that again? Yes, because it, it meant that much. But in the same breath, you know, it's a fucking risk and a half, man. It's, I mean, like you're, you're seriously, you're basically what you're doing is you're going to, you're, you're at Vegas and you've got your chips on black and you, and you hit black and you're like, I'm going again. Like you're, you're, you're really doubling down consistently and just, you know, and, and just really like playing, playing, playing with house money. And you're like, ah, I'm just going to, I'm going to go for yeah. broke, you know, and if, if you, you hit, great, if you don't, well, yeah. man, I'm, I'm, I'm in, I'm in big trouble. I lost all my chips. So if, if you if, if you take out a one million dollar loan and put it all on black and you win, it wasn't a good bet. Just because no, you, I'm not saying it's a good bet, but oh. but it paid. But it, you know, I mean, you can walk away and go, oh shit, and then you know you're okay. But in the same breath, man, that's fucking risky, and you're 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 just, you're just playing with fire. Exactly. But the trades they made in '94, they were not good trades, despite the fact that it ended in a cup win. They, um. No, they they mortgage the future. No, listen, no, they mortgage the future, which is risky, and it worked out. Just because it worked out, and just because they won the cup, doesn't doesn't make it a good trade. And this, at the same time, if 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 the other thing, you know, like uh, the Keith Yandel trade, just because we didn't win a cup doesn't mean it was a bad trade. It works both ways. No, I I agree with that. I'm just saying, in retrospect, if I knew the outcome. I would make that deal because I think it was worth gambling the future for. Yeah. But now that, I'm, I'm not saying outcomes. now, if you're asking me, if you're asking me, if I did not know the outcome of the future, I would never, if I'm, if I was Neil Smith and I had no idea whether it was going to work or not, fuck no, I'm not doing that. That's fucking risky as heck. But you know, he, it, he took some balls. He made a risk and it fucking paid out. And I'm sure after he won that cup, he's sitting there fucking counting his stars and prayers and blessings and wiping sweat off his brow, because if that didn't work out, he'd be done. And so yeah. that, and that franchise would be too. So, yeah. Um, it's, it's, a, it's an extreme risk, dude. It's a very extreme risk. I'm just saying it, it did pay off. So, but we can't use that as a model. Today's model is a lot different. You, like you said, you have to build through the draft. There is no way around that guys. And I, I do think that we're still one more big, um, draft piece away from being a team that you, that, that nobody wants to fuck with. You know, I still think we need that one, uh, that one piece. And you know, that, that, that could be, you know, anybody in, in, in this, in this top five. I mean, there's some really like I want you guys to start looking at this 2020 draft class. I mean, there's 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 four or five kids, maybe even six that could be absolute franchise players. I mean, there is one generational talent and he's going to go number one overall. And there's nothing you could do about it. whoever wins that lottery wins that lottery gets the next is basically getting the next Sidney Crosby. If that's the Rangers. Great. If not, that's OK, because there are five, there are four or five kids after him that are going to be absolute franchise like like use or Kako type players. Like Jack Eichel. Yes. And Jack Eichel is someone you can build a franchise. franchise. You give me Jack Eichel tomorrow on this Rangers team, we're a different team. Yeah. 
So <laughs> Jack Eichel on, the, on that second line, we're a whole different team. We're probably more of a 500 team. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, what? this, this Rangers team is not going to go far. And I know that people got excited this offseason when we traded for Truba and when we signed Panarin. And everyone was like, oh, yeah, well, we're going to make the playoffs now because look at who we added. But at the same time, and I, I bring this up a lot, yes, it's nice that you added Jacob Truba and it's really nice that you added Artemi Panarin. But look at what, what walked away. What walked out of the door? Um, Neil Pionk, for all his flaws, put up what thirty-five points? Thirty? Yeah. Okay, so that's thirty points. Shattenkirk was also around twenty-five or thirty points. Then uh, you have Jimmy Vesey, that's another twenty-five or thirty points. Kevin Hayes, Matt Zuccarello. All those, all those points that these players contributed to the team last season, they walked out the door. Yeah, well, how you how you replacing that production, guys? And replacing the production is one thing. Even if you replace the production, we were still a bottom six team. The the players you bring in have to be good enough to not only offset the loss in production, but then add on top of it to go from bottom six to top sixteen. And I just never saw that happening this offseason. No, and the pro- the problem is is look, they've they've the over the last few years just have moved in the right direction. Getting a, a legit number one satellite Zabanajad, signing Artemi Panarin, drafting Capo Caco and Kravstov, you know, um, the emergence of Shastork and I think is gonna be fantastic. Dra- um, trading for Adam Fox with the, is gonna be a home run. Trading for Truba is gonna be a home run. These are good moves, guys, but this is not a finished product. Like there's still a few more things that need to be in place before this team is able to go out there and wax the the you know, the Washington Capitals, or I hate saying it, in my opinion, the best team in the East, who's probably you know Carolina. They're not gonna beat these teams, guys. They're just not. They're not better than them. Um <clears throat> so Let's just, I'm not saying we are going to be as good as the Pittsburgh Penguins, but the Pittsburgh Penguins made it to the cup final in 2008 and they won the cup in 2009. Two years before they made the cup final, they finished with a record of 22, 46, and 14 for 58 points. Yeah. And this was with Malkin, with Fleur, with Uh, Crosby. Yeah, and with Crosby. The next season, they went to 47, 24, and 11 for 105 points. So it, and, and I'm not, and, and this is why I'm saying don't expect anything to, to, to change the moment you, you draft, in this case, Capo Caco. No, and, and, and the other thing too is you guys, can, it, they can totally be, they can go from literally the worst team in the league to the best team in the league overnight just because they have the, the talent there. It's, it's just a matter of time, guys. And if you're able to add another piece, in twenty, you know, in 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 June of next year, you're just gonna make sure you're you're just reinforcing what Colorado was doing. You're just you know, or or what the Penguins have done by adding lots of high end depth through yep. that, you know, that that draft in that top ten. And and if you can do it, you do it. You do it, guys. So yeah. I'm not saying that. I, look, I'm not a fan of you know. Hey, let's just you know, right? Like, who cares about the season? But 
trust me, guys, I'm not going to be sitting here like every time the Rangers lose, like losing my mind out of this. The only thing I'm going to lose my mind out of for the rest of the year is if these kids are getting absolutely no ice time and there's lots of controversy about what players are getting what ice time. Then I'll lose my mind because yep. then it's like, what the heck are you doing? Now, if you're telling me Capo Caco, Kravstov, Hedo gets called up, whatever, and they're struggling, but they're getting minutes, that's fine. I, I, can, I can totally I – be, I be, I'm okay with that. What I'm not okay with is Ryan Strome getting more minutes than, you know, uh, Leah Sanderson. That's yeah. just weird to me. Do you want to hear another example? Yeah, quickly before I go, because I actually – we, we got we to wrap this up. 2007, the year Chicago drafted Patrick Kane. Um, they finished with a 31-42-9 record for 71 points. That was three <laughs> years before they won the Cup. Yeah. Top picks. Teams that have a top pick need to develop <clears throat> because the only reason you get a top pick, the only way you get a top pick is if your team is really bad or if you just made a trade with the Ottawa Senators. Is there any, like, we should try to think about that. Is there any way we, anybody we can flip to Ottawa to be like, Hey, you want, you want to pick next year? Oh, I, I would take San Jose's first round pick that they got in exchange for uh, uh, Eric Carlson, but, uh, yeah. Santa, the Sharks are not doing well. Um, no, but, they're not. But yeah, I, I agree with you. You know, if our prospects are playing meaningful minutes, I don't care if they lose by four goals. You know, at least give me something to look forward to when the game starts. Exactly. What, what I'm not looking forward to is Brendan Smith on the third line. And it's just, sorry, sorry. It just doesn't do it for me. And. You know, Capo Caco is going to have need some time to adjust, but is is playing on the top line really going to impact that adjustment? No. Um, I I feel that that David Quinn will eventually end up with the only scenario left where he's going to play Leas Anderson on the third line or, or even the second line. I just wish the moment came sooner based on, you know, what we saw in preseason because he was one of the better players out there. Uh, no argument for me, man, but let's see. Let's see. Let's see how the rest of the let's let's see, let's I'm actually going to be able to watch the next few games. So this can be fun chatting about this next week. So I'm going to have a little little different perspective, guys. So I'll be able to catch some games. So let's and let's see the adjustments that David Quinn makes. Let's give him the benefit of the doubt that. Let's just take let's just take our time and take a look. Like if 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 we're in February and we're still talking about the same ice time stuff, we have a bigger problem to talk about. Yeah, and uh, I just want to re- re- reiterate again: um, just because we only played seven games or eight games or nine games, doesn't mean we shouldn't criticize David Quinn. I agree when people say we shouldn't fire him because no, don't fire him. But criticizing our coach for making the wrong decisions in game numbers one, two, three, four, five, six, and seven is just as valid as criticizing him for mistakes made in game 33 or 82. I, I agree with you. Criticizing one thing, asking to blow the whole thing up is just ludicrous. This whole we only played this many games is not an argument. I'm sorry. But other than that, uh, look, I'm still excited about the season. There's still a lot to look forward to. Um, yeah. I'm, look, I'm looking forward to finally meeting you in person next week. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's going to be fun, man. So I'm going to be uh, – me and Steve are going to be in, in Nashville next week. I'm going to go to the, the, the Predator Ranger game. Uh, like I said, before that, I'm, I'm going to watch the next few games too. So, you know, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll record after, um, after the Nashville game and, 
it should be a lot of fun, guys. I mean, let's just let's just see how the team does, and we'll we'll, we'll take it from there. But I'm I'm excited to spend some time in Nashville and hang out and you know and uh, check out a new arena for once. Uh, I haven't haven't the last new arena I went to was in Tampa Bay, so it'd be nice to try something all new. Yeah, it'll be my eleventh uh, state I'm visiting in my life. So <laughs> that's crazy. You, you you travel you travel like a madman. Yeah, I'm, I'm flying to New York next week first, so uh, it'll be four weeks after I flew back from New York. It's I miss New York so much, I just wanted to go back. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, it was uh, it was a good recording. Always nice talking to you. Uh, but I, I really I really have to ask, you know, next time please watch the games before we record. <laughs> What's that? You have to ask what? Please watch the games before we record next time. <laughs> I, dude, I, I, you know, I, I, I wish I could have. I mean, like, yeah. it's, it's, there, there's nothing I could do, guys. I mean, it's, it, yeah. it's hard when work, you know, um, corresponds with the same, the same time as the games. That's, it's really hard for me to watch them, you know. Yeah. And um, yeah, one last thing because we usually record once a week. Uh, we didn't have a chance to record last week because I was in Sweden myself for a job interview, so we just didn't have an opportunity to uh, find the time to record. And honestly, I'm not going to bring my recording equipment uh, when I when I travel to another country for a day or two. So, yeah, but yeah. Not, not none of this is surprising. <laughs> so yeah, uh, we'll record again next week when we're in Nashville. And uh, yeah, that's it. Yeah, um, yeah, that should be that should be a lot of fun. I'm excited for it. So. Yeah. So uh, play the kids, criticize the coach, but don't fire him. That's what it comes down to. Yeah, I'm I'm all for that. All right, take care, guys. All right, bye.